The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. to a special edition of the two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me today very special guest the man behind the attitude era and former wcw world heavyweight champion vince russo vince welcome back how you doing what is going on john long time no see man how you doing my friend doing very very good so today the topic at hand is wrestlemania 14 all the way back in 1998, just to kind of give you a little overview of it. So WrestleMania 14, March 29th, 1998, from Boston, Mass. at the Fleet Center. The attendance, 19,028 people sell out, 730,000 buys, and the tagline is the greatest pay-per-view attraction of all time. 730, pretty damn good. Yeah, no, that's a uh, that's a very good number, man. Multiply that by the price of uh, the pay-per-view back then, and you got a pretty good payday, man. Yeah. Think about this, though. WWE Uncensored was two weeks before this. You had Hogan versus Savage in the cage. You had Sting versus Scott Hall. Did 415,000 buys. So in the month of March, if you're a wrestling fan, you did you pay, you know, over 1.1 million pay-per-views you bought. Nuts. That's crazy, bro. That is a crazy number, man. So did you think at this point, like, okay, like 415, obviously this is your WrestleMania, so you're going to do a better number. But did you think you were pulling ahead a little bit here? Because it seems like they're losing steam and you guys are picking up steam here. Yeah, you know, bro, it's really funny because, um, you know, it's just the way uh, the, the, the way the the way the, you know, dirt sheets want to, you know, just use numbers and finagle numbers against you because obviously bro what happens now over time is we took um you know aew's pay-per-view numbers you know bro a lot of people got to understand with the price of pay-per-views uh back then you know bro a lot of people were on a budget and it was one or the other like we 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 can only afford one this month i mean that that happened to a lot of people bro they couldn't afford to pay for both so what happened was we started taking that pay-per-view audience away 
from uh, WCW slowly but surely. And what the dirt sheets love to look at is when I went to WCW, how the pay-per-view numbers were down. Yeah, bro, the pay-per-view numbers were down because I just came from the WWE where we took their pay-per-view numbers. So, of course, when I started with WCW and we kind of had to, you know, start all over again, yeah, bro, their pay-per-view numbers were way down because the WWE numbers were way up and we were basically starting at the bottom and we had to build up again. But it's just comical to me how they love to use the the uh, WCW pay-per-view numbers, who, which were absolutely destroyed prior to me going into WCW. And then when I get to WCW, they love to blame me for the pay-per-view numbers, which which is a joke. But yeah, bro, like that was the thing. Pay-per-views were very expensive back then. A lot of people had to choose just one. I know my dad would say, you can only get one. So we would yeah. order the WCW. And my friend would say, his dad would be like, you can only get one. So he would order WWF and we'd switch. we kind of go Absolutely. back and forth. Absolutely, yes. And there would be a bunch of us too. So, I mean, we had a bunch of friends over there. So if you think about it, if all those kids were actually spending all that money in the pay-per-views, maybe one this month. I mean, God knows how many people were actually physically watching. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Sullivan always says if you, if it's 1 million, you could pretty much say it was 2 million watching it. You know, I definitely agree with that with, with, without a doubt, man, without a doubt. Crazy the popularity. And this is really the first big pay-per-view for you guys in like in a while because Starcade 97 does like 700,000 buys and you guys come back here, WrestleMania 14 and do 730. So it's like, wow, you guys really are taking that audience and Austin is it's skyrocketing. Mike Tyson is a huge help. Did it also help that Tyson loves wrestling? You know what I mean? Like for him to like want to do Oh it? yeah. No, bro. See, that's the thing too. It really, listen, man, I I've worked around celebrities and I've worked around those that absolutely loved wrestling and those that didn't want to be there. And it was a payday. I, I, I was there for both. And bro, to me, that's what a lot of people don't understand, man. But, um, that was really my attraction to David Arquette because, bro, not only did he love the business, he absolutely like respected the business. Like he was in awe uh, when when he was there and he was so, so respectful to everybody when he was there. And, bro, that really played into uh, you know, the the David Arquette decision we made, you know, about him winning that, that title for a cup of coffee. So, yeah, bro, it really, really, really helps when the celebrity is into it. One thousand percent. With Tyson, obviously, you know, the, the king of pay-per-views. What was Vince up to at this point with him? Because you always hear rumors that he was talking about being his manager and, and yeah. he wanted to do his pay-per-views and he was going to be the guy that was in charge of promoting his pay-per-views. Bro, was that I a part of the that. deal? I, 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 listen, nothing was ever said to me because, quite frankly, that was none of my business, so I, I never asked. But, bro, 1,000%, that was the feeling that I had. 1,000% because... Vince kind of married Shane to Tyson. Uh, Shane was always with Tyson. And, bro, like even back then, I can remember, bro, Vince wants to take over, you know, this guy's career. Like I said, bro, that was never said to me. I never asked. It was none of my business. But I definitely, definitely felt that way. 
because it's funny. It's like WCW, okay, they got Rodman. That got a ton of press. And like, wow, he's controversial. He skipped practice. You know, he like all this stuff. But then you got Tyson, on the other hand, who's just as controversial, maybe even more popular. So it was like the perfect marriage. Like Rodman, okay, he likes wrestling. He'll miss Chicago Bulls practices and have to deal with the wrath of Jordan and, right. and Phil. And like Tyson over here, who's, you know, just loves wrestling. He gets excited. And you can even tell Vince, even when he says Mike Tyson, he's like, I heard Mike. Like he gets so into it. Like right. you could tell right. Vince was definitely liking him more than you know just average run-of-the-mill celebrity oh yeah absolutely bro i definitely think vince had some some big plans and big ideas i don't i don't know what happened obviously you know that was the thing bro like i didn't stick my nose in business where it didn't belong you know so like that was none of my business so i have no idea what went down but i i can tell you shane was married to uh tyson backstage how was Mike and like backstage and stuff? Was he nice to everybody? And oh like- yeah, bro, he was great. The thing that blew me away though is, bro, he he like had this entourage of a sea of people. <laughs> like whenever you know, like literally, bro, you would see like twenty people coming, and you knew Tyson, uh, you know, was right in the middle of that. So he had an entourage of people. But nah, bro, very, you know, not standoffish. I mean, not not no chip on his shoulder. Really a down-to-earth, nice guy. Very, very easy to work with. Did that entourage think it was a little bit of a shoot when Austin and Tyson are in the in, in the ring together and they had that awesome confrontation with Vince in the middle and Vince tries to back them up and they push each other? Did his entourage think that was a little bit of a shoot? Because it seemed like some of them were, were a little like anti. Yeah, no, you know, that's a great point, John. They they may have. You, you know what I'm saying? Either that or they just got carried away with the moment, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I think I remember that specifically, exactly what you're talking about. That was like the real, I mean, obviously the Montreal Screwjob, but then that was such a good glimpse into Mr. McMahon, like the heel character, because he's like, yeah. you ruined it. You ruined it. Like he's completely snapped. He's like, you ruined it. That was it. a funny, the creative thing, bro. The creative before this, you know, bro, and WWE does it now all the time because they don't have Vince Russo's there anymore. Um, what It's very, very, very predictable what they do. So when, when, when we had gotten Tyson, you know, and I, I guess, you know, talent relations, you know, whether it was Pritchard or um, JR or both of them and Vince, you know, they they were um, instrumental in getting Tyson. So then it comes to creative. Now Vince comes to creative, me and Ed, you know, Mike Tyson, blah, 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 blah. Well, bro, they were all assuming that, you know, Mike Tyson was going to be a baby face in Austin's corner. And I was like, no, bro. Like, that's what everybody thinks. Let Tyson side with DX. You know, let him rip off the shirt. We see, you know, because everybody's going to assume he's going to buddy up with Austin. Bro, go the other way. You know, set the stage that people are ready to pop and explode because Tyson's with Austin and then pull the rug out from under them, have them rip off the shirt. And that's what we wound up doing. But, you know, it's funny, bro. It's like, man, WWE, they always want to do the predictable thing. And like that, that's what they're doing now again, 100% across the board. Bro, I, I was the opposite. I knew what the casual audience, I knew what they were thinking. 
And they were thinking Tyson was going to get a huge pop and be with Austin. And I'm like, no, bro, you got to go the other way. So thankfully, you know, Vince listened. We went the other way, and I think it really worked. Yeah, that public workout was great, too. And, you know, they had to kind of set the stage and had that big press conference and stuff. It was funny because you're like, wow, Tyson almost is like versus Austin. You know what I mean? It's almost like Michaels is kind of in the background. It's almost like yeah. Tyson versus Austin. Right, was that exactly. the thought process? Oh, absolutely, bro. Just just letting the imagination run wild. Listen, let's, let's be honest. Mike Tyson would kill Steve Austin. Yeah. But at that point, Austin was so hot. Like, bro, you you literally believed Austin could take Tyson in a fight. Like, that's how hot he was. So, yeah, bro, why, why not uh, let people think about that? What did Michaels think at this point? Because I know he's got the back injury. Does he like kind of maybe putting Tyson up on the pedestal? Or was he jealous like a little bit like, hey, this is me versus Austin. This is nah, my name. Nah, bro. Sean was all about money. I, I mean, Sean was all about money. Um, bro, there, there was such a back history of going into this WrestleMania that like I can really, really talk uh, deeply about because I was smack in the middle of it and, and, and things that people don't even know about. But, bro, Sean was one of those guys. He sees Mike Tyson. He sees dollar signs. Mike Tyson is going to make me money. You know, that that's the old school way of thinking, bro, that doesn't exist today. So absolutely not. There, there was no ego whatsoever you know sean knew that tyson was going to put a lot of attention on the match so what was like the deep stuff going on backstage with him and, and everything else oh bro the deep stuff were sean and um vince were at absolute odds absolute odds to the point of not speaking to one another i was the guy bro relaying messages Wow. From Sean to Vince, okay, Vince here. From Vince back to Sean, I was right smack in the middle of it. And bro, I'll tell you what I think this um this 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 came out of, bro. When Sean was the champion and the company was down, I mean, if you remember, Sean had feuds with uh, you know Vader and and Sid, but the company was really at a low point, okay. Bro, yep. I can tell you, Shawn Michaels did everything the company asked. Everything, bro. Like, at a split second, Shawn, you need to go here, you need to go here, you need to go there. He was such a company guy when he was the champion. Now, bro, I swear because I witnessed it and I saw it. As soon as Vince had his shiny new toy in Austin and Vince could see the writing on the wall, bro, he kicked Shawn Michaels to the curb like Shawn Michaels was an opening match wrestler. And I, I saw this. I saw this with my own two eyes. And, bro, that did not sit well with Shawn because Shawn saw what was going on, as I said, man, Sean did every single thing Vince asked him to do as champion. And all of a sudden, Vince had a shiny new toy and Sean's, uh, you know, the redhead stepchild. And I, and I witnessed this. And, and this is what really 
piss Sean off. And I really felt that Sean felt a, um, a, a, a deep, deep disrespect. And bro, I agree with him. I, I saw it too. And I didn't blame him one iota. And I remember, bro, it got to the point where it got so hot that he basically told, he, he basically said to me, I mean, literally weeks before WrestleMania, you tell Vince McMahon if he wants his effing belt, then to to bring his ass to my effing house in San Antonio and get it off my effing mantle himself. I mean, that's how hot. And bro, I had to go relay that message to Vince. <laughs> and I related in those exact words. I, I related in those exact words. But I got to tell you, bro, so it was very difficult because Vince and Sean were not speaking. And Sean was very, very upset. And bro, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times when the angle was laid out on the Raws leading up to WrestleMania, bro, I'll be honest with you, it was it was Austin, it was me, it was Sean, it was Hunter, and it was China. And bro, I got to be honest with you, Hunter was the one that really stepped up. And Hunter was kind of the glue because, you know, Hunter and, you know, Sean were like this. And Hunter knew, like, Sean was about to freaking snap. So, like, Hunter went out of his way, bro, to make sure, okay, you know, everybody settled. This is what we're doing, making sure everybody was happy. Hunter, bro, if Hunter would have went the other way and stirred the shit, forget about it for but hunter was really okay let's do this and blah 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 and he really really took charge of the situation and uh had he not bro i i i don't know i don't know how smoothly the match would have went off listen bro here's the bottom line i knew sean was gonna do business because he was always all about business and no matter how pissed off he was at Vince, he wasn't taking that out on Austin. The issue wasn't with Austin. So, you know, as one of the boys in respect for each other, Sean was going to do business. We all knew that, but it was really, bro, just a headache in getting there. Were you nervous at all? Or was Vince nervous at all that he wasn't going to do it? Because WrestleMania 13, the rumor is he's supposed to fight Bret Hart after WrestleMania 12. He beats Bret. They're going to have a rematch. Bret's going to beat him. He all of a sudden lost his smile. He has that knee injury. But then all of a sudden at WrestleMania 13 comes off the top rope and does a backflip and shows you that his knee's not hurt. So it was like, whoa, like very touch and go. That was so, different, was that bro, because the uh, the situation with Bret and Sean were, was very real. So Sean did not like Brett. Number one, uh, Sean had no issues, no heat with Steve Austin whatsoever. And bro, I'll be honest with you. I think Sean was smart enough to know, like he wasn't going to F with Austin. You know, I mean, he, you know, I, I don't think Sean wanted to go down that road. So I don't, I don't think, you know, would he, or would he, I don't think that was ever in question at WrestleMania 14. Is it true that Undertaker sat in gorilla position during the match in case anything happened with Michaels? Is that true? 
That I don't know, bro, because I wasn't sitting in gorilla position. Like I was in the back working. So th that I, I honestly have no idea about. But I wouldn't doubt it. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt it, but I, I can't verify it. I could see, though, like Michaels, because of last year, being a little worried. I could see Austin maybe being like in the back of his mind, like maybe, is this guy going to do that again? Like lose his smile? Oh, and, no, absolutely, you know? bro. I mean, we, we all know that a paranoia runs rampant. So, you know, absolutely, I'm sure, you know, they must have been thinking some of these things. But I never doubted it for a second, bro. I, I, I knew Sean was going to do business. With Austin, like he's obviously the next star. He's the next guy. Like you could see it, you know, from a mile away. You said, okay, this guy is it. He's the next Hogan. Like he's the guy. What is like your thought process with like, okay, we got to book this guy like the next Hogan, but let's not just totally dismantle Michaels as of yet. You know what I mean? Like, how do you kind of balance that creatively? Yeah, you're not going to dismantle Michaels. He, he's too talented, bro. You're not going to do it. I, I mean, so you're not. Sean, Sean is going, Sean is Sean. And Sean is going to keep himself over. Um, so, like, I was never, ever. Bro, listen, I, I've, I've said this. You know, I've worked with a lot of the greats. Bro, as far as all around, Sean was the absolute best. Um, and because he was so good, uh, you know, on the mic, in his character, in the ring, Bro, he was bulletproof. You, 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 you were never ever gonna hurt Shawn Michaels. You could, you could have kept bringing Shawn back and back and back and back, and uh, he would have been as strong as ever. So, never, never had to worry about that, bro. The thing with Michaels is he wasn't like a big draw. You know what I mean? Like popular, yes, but not like a Steve Austin, not like a Rock. You know but what I mean? I, I, I think, bro. That, I think, bro. That's because of where the business was at the time, bro. Bro, you're talking about the guy's the champion and you've got T.L. Hopper and the <laughs> goon and Freddie Joe Floyd and who? Like, oh my God, bro. It was like he was carrying this thing on his back by himself. You know, bro, when you go to the Attitude Era, you know, I mean, my God, Austin had you know, Mick and Rock and Kane and Taker and DX, like, oh my God, huge, huge, huge difference, bro, in the supporting cast. And Michaels was going to get up against the prime years of the NWO and Crow Sting and stuff. So not good competition for him to go up against. Right. And I know Absolutely. Paul Nash are his boys, but they, right. I know they would joke around with him saying like, oh, you know, uh, maybe you miss us, like kind of Yeah, thing. absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So Austin, he's getting the big push. What does Vince McMahon say to you, like, creatively, like, get some stuff together for Austin? You know what I mean? Like, is, is he, like, preparing you for this big push? I'll, or, I'll or never you, forget preparing him. Yeah, no, Vince never did this ever, ever before. But I remember when Austin won the title. The following day at Raw, Vince McMahon said to me, he said, bro, you are glued to Austin 20 four seven i don't care about anybody else you are glued to austin he never said that to me about anybody at any other time um but he went out of his way that night to tell me bro you're you know you're married to a man you're you're going to be attached to his hip because you know pretty much He's gonna he's gonna take this company to a whole different level, bro. So I, I remember that speech uh specifically the, the day after. 
is it crazy to think he's going to be the next Hogan? Like, because literally, because merch sales, arena sales, pay-per-view sale, like everything is through the roof. Licensing deals, everything goes through the roof. Is it crazy to think like, okay, we got the next Hogan here? Or is that like a viable option at this point? Like you guys are actually thinking that. I don't know what Vince is thinking, bro. I honestly don't know what Vince is thinking, but my God, bro, again, I'm going to go back to a lot of people were way over. You know, it really wasn't Austin and everybody else. My God, bro, Sable was way over. Yeah, you know, a time. lot of people at that time were really, really, really over. Now, like I said, as far as a business plan for Austin, uh, Vince may have had something completely different in his mind. I don't know. All I know is, bro, I'm in a position now where I'm writing for a lot of people that are way, way over. How is he, Steve Austin, how is he like to deal with as far as writing, creatively producing, and how, like, did he change at all as he started to get more and more popular? He did change, bro, but he changed in a way that uh, did not surprise me, and I 1,000% understood. I, I understood what he was going through. Bro, Austin's mentality was, Keep in mind, bro, he he once told me a story about, you know, working under Jerry Jarrett and bro, the guy lived on boiled potatoes. That's all he had money to eat was boiled potatoes every night. He told me that personally. So when you look at where he came from, bro, all of a sudden Stone Cold Steve Austin was almost like an overnight sensation. I mean, it happened very, very, very quickly. And because of that long journey, when he finally got to the top of the mountain, in Austin's mind, bro, I know he was always aware of it could end just as fast. It could come crashing down just as fast. So with that, bro, when it came to creative, he would start really overanalyzing everything uh, because there was a little bit of paranoia. And, bro, let me tell you something. When you overanalyze anything, you're eventually going to find a problem with it because the, the, the reality is you want to find a problem with it. So when you overanalyze anything, bro, you're eventually going to find problems and start nitpicking and – he used to really overanalyze. Like, I'll never forget, bro. What, what you know, here's a perfect example. I came up of the I came up with the idea of a beer truck. So I went to Steve and I'm like, bro, you're gonna drive a beer truck into the arena. And there was like silence, and he thought about it for a second and he looked at me. This is what I'm talking about. He looked at me, he goes, Well, why can't I just drive my truck in? And I had to look at him and say, Steve, you're going to drive a beer truck in. Like, do you not like the, the, diff, the significance I, you know, but, but that's what I'm talking about, bro. He would really, you know, look at every little single piece because he was so worried about it coming, crashing down. But bro, at the end of the day, man, I wasn't going to allow that to happen. I mean, every, everything I wrote for Steve, 
I knew how to be, you know, the next level and the next level and the next level. And the, I wasn't going to let him, you know, plumb it down. But like I said, bro, I understood completely what, what his mindset was. I understood completely, man. And the beer trick thing, my God, it's one of the most memorable yeah, absolutely. events ever when absolutely. he comes down and, yep. and gets them in the beer and, and he yep. hits the ring. I mean, that's just great, memorable stuff. Yep, yep. So as far as the actual show is concerned, the actual WrestleMania 14, when the pay-per-view starts, the Chris Warren band, a.k.a. the DX band, opens up the show. They do America the Beautiful and the Star Spangled Banner. Funny thing is, the video release and the WWE Network both cut this from the show, and the fans actually kind of booed them a little bit. Do you remember that at all? Like, thinking, like, that didn't really go off as well as nah, we I don't, I, as far I, as a musical yeah, act. Yeah, I, see, bro, I wouldn't be involved in that at all. You know, like, at this part, at this point, I'm just backstage making sure everybody knows what they're doing. I'm so in in the zone and entrenched in the show right now that like, I, like, I didn't even know that till, till you just told me. So stuff like that, I got no idea about. It's funny though, like Chris Warren band, the, the guys that sing the DX song yeah. are doing the, you know, the opening of the show with the songs. They usually do like a big celebrity. It's funny. And even in 98, you guys are so popular, but you almost like went against the grain and went with like a non major celebrity. I just thought that was interesting. Maybe so much money was in the Titans. Like, yeah, we can't really bring in another huge celebrity. Possibly could have been the decision, bro. Absolutely. Yes. I know Pete Rose. We'll talk about him in, in a second, but it's just funny. I always just like laugh at them. Like, why those guys? Why not like Aretha Franklin? You know what I yeah, mean? Or, right, you know, exactly. Somebody of, of that ilk. Yeah. Even though, bro, I, I got to tell you, bro, I still, I, I think that was my best entrance, mu favorite entrance music of all time. The DX song? Yeah. It is all. It is great. It's yeah, like perfect it. for them. Yeah. It's actually, and it's actually like you could like, you know, they say wrestling songs, you don't really listen to them like in your car or you're driving. Like that's yeah. something you could actually like listen to when you're driving. Absolutely. It's actually yep. pretty good. Yep. So the night begins with a tag team battle royal. It's interesting that LOD is like the surprise entrance, really. And they're kind of like the, the ultimate guys to have in the match. But they got a huge pop. So LOD coming back and really being LOD 2000, I thought it was great because it's like, oh, shit, LOD. Like, I don't know, it makes the match seem a little bit more heightened because they're the greatest tag team of all time. Yeah, Was that where they were, when they were with Sonny? Yes. Yeah. Yep. You know, bro, I'll be honest with you. Like none of the participants involved like that. And, you know, bro, when, when, when somebody doesn't like it, it's not going to work. And, you know, bro, by that time, you know, uh, LOD was a little further on in their career. So the idea of LOD 2000 was kind of to, you know, bring them in, you know, 1999, you know, whatever it was. And then, you know, Sunny, you know, always she was always ratings. So you were always trying to get her, you know, on TV, in the spotlight in some way, shape or form. But, bro, when you've got old school wrestlers like that, sometimes it's hard to change things up because, you know, their argument is always going to be, well, it worked for so long. And I agree 1000%, but you don't want to get it to the point where a, a, a group like LOD, like no longer means anything. And you like, you know, Hogan and Flair just become two wrestlers on the card. To me, you never, ever wanted to get to that point. So you would try these different things to freshen it up a bit. Yeah, they're LOD 2000 here. They end up winning. They become the number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team Championship. But it's interesting. 
LG 2000s. Like, I don't know if I really care for that name. It's like, then they have Sunny with her. It's like, uh, you know, it, it didn't work for me either. I don't think yeah, it was that great. Yeah it, yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. Other guys in the match were just, just to, you know, just throw out a few names. You had uh, uh, Barry Windham, the Jackal, Savio Vega, just, you know, the, the Bariquas, the, the Blackjack. I mean, you had all these other teams in there, um, DOA. The Godwins, the final team that got eliminated was the Midnight Express, Bombastic Bob and Bodacious Bart with Jim Cornette. That seems like a, uh, I don't know, not a great idea. Mid- that, was probably, Express. that was just a probably a Cornette bone. You know, it was probably just throwing Jim Cornette a bone, pretty much. So LOD 2000 wins and still number one contender. So they're still relevant here in, in middle of 98, really, you know, around WrestleMania 14 time. And like, are they factored in as like, oh, we're going to do something with LOD here with LOD 2000? Or they're just simply, we'll give them a nice little push and we'll kind of use them yeah, to get the bro, outlaws we, more You over. know, at this point, uh, Hawks really having problems. So it's it's really, really hard to have concrete plans around somebody when you know you're dealing with other issues that are out of your control. So I really believe, bro, that was kind of like a let's play it by ear type of thing. Give them the WrestleMania moment. Let them win that match. But like I said, bro, because of, uh, you know, Hawks demons, I think that was really a let's kind of just play this by ear. Good to start it off with the crowd because it's like instant pop. As soon as you get ah, what a rush, you know, instant pop as far as them being over. So that was a cool way to start the show. Yep. A little bit of a nostalgia thing too, you know. Yeah, you absolutely. Really like to, to keep them around. Yeah. Did yeah. you like the new Midnight Express with uh, Cornette and and Bart and and, I, and no, Bob? I, I, bro, that whole that whole NWA thing was basically oh, okay, Jim. We, we're going to do this because you really think that this is going to work. I know it's not going to work, but we're going to do this anyway so you can see for yourself that this is not going to work. Because, you know, that's the thing with Cornette, bro. He's never wrong. Like, he, you know, it's his way or no way. He's never wrong. He thinks he's always right. I knew in this time period that this was not going to work, but I'm not going to sit there and argue with him. So, okay, bro, let, let, let's put it out there, and then you yourself will see that in this day and time, this is not going to work. Now, I know you don't agent the matches, right, to put it together, produce the actual matches, but who books the finishes of the matches? Is that you and Pat and Vince? or who Well, no, I, we, 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 we as the writers say what we need for the finish. You know, you know, so, you know, so-and-so goes, oh, we say what we need for the finish, but at that point, they book out the nuts and bolts of the match. Does McMahon say, nah, like, I don't want LD to win, or ah, LD wants to win. Like, does he say that to you? Nah. Like, does he kind of change his mind? Like, who's Bro, going to I'm telling you, man, when we wrote, and, and people don't believe this, and I, like, like I say, bro, I don't give a shit. I, I, I was there. I, I, and if you have half a brain, all you have to do is look at that period and look at the WWE today. The same guy's still there, bro. Why, why is it so bad today? The same guy is still there. Bro, when I tell you Ed Ferrara and myself wrote out the entire show, bro, Vince never changed anything. 
What he would do is tweak things up, little tweaks here. Bro, he never eliminated matches. He never changed finishes. He never switched order around. He literally took our show and in Vince McMahon fashion would like punch it up. You know, little nuances. That's what Vince did. And bro, I used to say even back then, Bro, you cannot give Vince McMahon a blank sheet of paper and ask him to write a wrestling show. He's not capable of that. That's not his forte. You've got to give him the show so it's all right in front of it, and then he will add his McMahon-isms. But when this guy is, is doing a show from scratch, you're going to get exactly what you're seeing today it's not his strong suit bro i can see that yeah he's good at you know i guess the red lines like oh let's add yeah absolutely bro he when you put a complete script in front of him and bro we we had it down to such a science that the challenge to me and ed was he's not going to change one thing that became our challenge but once we handed it to him, bro, the genius of Vince McMahon is he would visualize things that we didn't see. And little things, bro, really little things that meant a lot. That was the genius of Vince McMahon. But the reason he was able to zero in on that stuff was because we gave him a complete, we gave him a complete show. There was everything in that show, A to Z. So now all he had to do was like, okay, I'm not going to change the show. I'm not going to change the structure of the show. I'm not going to F with it. I'm going to punch it up my way and make it better. And he did. I, I always give him credit for that, bro. That was the genius of Vince. But uh, he he cannot write a show from scratch, bro. So the next match, Takamishinoku defeats Aguila and retains his light heavyweight championship. Match only is about six minutes. What do you think here of just the light heavyweight division? It, it doesn't seem it. to. I have- hated it, bro. I, yeah. I, they, they, you know, they wanted to compete with uh, WCW. That's what it was all about. I hated it, bro, because it wasn't really character driven and storyline driven as much as I would have liked, even though Brian Christopher was a great character, bro. Brian Christopher was so good and so charismatic, but it was a blatant ripoff of the cruiserweights at WCW from day one. And, and I was, I was never a fan of it, bro, but you know, it's kind of, you know, what, what, what they wanted to do. I kind of inherited it. It, it kind of started before I really started writing, but I, I I just was never a fan of that, bro. It's funny. The most memorable part of this match is JR's commentary saying that, hey, the last time Takamishinoku you know, defended the title was December 7th. Oddly enough, the same day as the Japanese bombing in Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would not fly today, bro. That no, no. But I just thought that was hilarious. Like, wow, that's the only like kind of notable thing of match yeah. is him saying something funny. Yeah. And obviously right. today he would get in deep trouble. Back then we laughed and you know, oh, there was yeah, nothing. Yeah. 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 But forget about it. today. Who oh, forget about it? Yeah. So then the next matchup, Triple H 
defending the European Championship. He's with China. He defeats Owen Hart in about 11 minutes, 30 seconds. There's some chicanery going on with China and Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, there's all this other stuff. Triple H ends up getting the win here. Why not Owen winning here? Like, why did we go away from Owen after the Montreal Screwjob? They had the match on Raw with Michaels and Owen Hart. Like, it seemed like a real personal issue. But then it seems like Owen was kind of getting a little bit of a deep push. And Triple H was kind of the benefit. So he ends up winning the, you know, defending his European yeah, title. Yeah, bro, the because I think with everything that happened with the Montreal screw job, with everything that happened, you had to bring Owen back with some kind of an edge. Like, his brother was screwed in front of the entire world by the company he's working for. You had to bring Owen Hart back with an edge. And, bro, I'll be honest with you, it, you can't. It didn't work. That That's not Owen's Owen Hart. O Owen is not a tough guy. Owen is not a kick-ass type of guy. Owen is not a serious guy. So when you were trying to bring him back and portray him in that light, it just really, really wasn't working. And then when you add to that, um, a lot of those early promos were, you know, like with, with Sean and, and, you know, Sean being Sean would kind of just, bury Owen, you know, on the microphone. So, bro, Owen being mad, upset, pissed off, um, edgy, it, it just was never going to work because that's no way how he was in real life. Do you think here this is the start of, like, some political stuff with Triple H? Like, not that he needed the win or anything, but, like, it almost seems like this is, like, the progression of him, like, Every every step of the way, like he gets with Michaels, he's moving up the ladder. You know what I mean? Like he just keeps climbing the ladder. Is I, he politically I, stepping up too? I don't think so, bro. I don't think so at all because, you know, man, I, I was there when he was in the doghouse for a very long time about that curtain call. Right. And like, bro, I was really the only one who befriended him. You know, like it was almost like, oh, bro, if you, you know, if you're friendly with Triple H, you're going to have heat with the office, that kind of bullshit. So absolutely not, bro. He was in the doghouse for such a long time. I, I think what this was a case of, bro, to be honest with you, because I wrote a lot of it, was just the cream rising to the top, man. You know, I mean, Triple H, I, I remember Jim Cornette sitting at Vince McMahon's, uh, you know, a uh, uh, living room table saying his exact quote was, Triple H will never draw a dime in this business. Jim Cornette's exact quote and i i i differed bro i i thought there was a lot of not only was there a lot of potential in triple h bro not only was he a great athlete he was such a student of the game and he was so smart bro and so intelligent that i i knew bro once we got over this curtain call bullshit I, I knew he was going to be a major player in the company. Man, you guys got very, very lucky because the next night, Sean Waltman, X-Pac, debuts and he's with Triple H. And that, you know, you get the guy from the NWO. I mean, yeah. big mistake. I know he had some problems with, I guess, Barry Bloom and Bischoff and trying to renegotiate his contract when he had the injured neck. Hogan cuts that horrible but awesome promo. Um, he can't, he couldn't cut the mustard brother, basically ripping him and saying, and you know, kind of saying the whole Nash. 
to kind of get them riled up too. And I know Bischoff and Hall Nash had some problems then too. So it's like, all right, you take Sean Waltman, six of the NWO, and you put him DX, like, oh shit, that's instant credibility. Like, and not only wow. and not and not only that, bro, he cut the greatest promo in his career. Yeah. Far and away. Yep. That that I, that that promo is still memorable to me to this day. He he uh he cut the best promo in his career that night. To me, it's like, okay, Triple H is here. He gets the win over Erwin. He's European champion. Then he starts DX, and he's the leader. And then Waltman comes. It's like like he's he's going up, up, up. Absolutely. Up. As far yep. as it, even the crowd reactions, like you could tell, like, whoa, we got they got a guy from the NWO, and now he's in DX. Like, it made them so much cooler. Absolutely. I agree. Yep. And then we'll talk about it, but later on the night, the Outlaws obviously beat Funk. And uh, on the next night on, on Raw, that is, they beat uh, Funk and Foley, and it starts an awesome thing with Foley and Austin. But we'll we'll, we'll get into that too, which is just great writing uh, on your part. But we'll get into that in a second. So Mark Merrow and Sable in the fourth match of the evening defeat Goldust and Luna Vachon. Match goes about nine minutes long. The thing I noticed here is Sable, and you know, being sixteen <laughs> years old at this point, we we're all obsessed with Sable. But she was so much more over than Merrow. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. And bro, Way not only ahead. that, not bro, freaking Luna hated Sable. Hmm. Hated Sable. And Mark, I swear to God, bro, bro, Mark, Mark Merrill gets zero credit when he should get so much freaking credit. Because, bro, it's funny, man. Luna hated Sable. And literally, Merrow had to protect Sable from Luna, but he didn't do it in a way where he was being disrespectful to Luna. Like he did, like he, he, he did not, you know, he, he did it in a very smart way. And even bro, a gangrel, like I'm telling you between gangrel and Merrow, they had a kind of, relax Luna and settle yeah. Luna down because bro Luna hated Sable just because of what she represented she didn't hate Rena Mero Rena Mero was a sweetheart of a person she hated oh my gosh this beautiful woman who who didn't know how to wrestle and learned how to wrestle in a couple of months you know Luna hated the idea of that but I gotta tell you you know David David Heath and uh and Mero really, really had to be the middleman to just make sure that, you know, Luna didn't freaking attack Sable. Now, this is different, kind of what you're doing with, with the women here. Like, you know, you're really putting some spotlight on them. They are getting this match, obviously, big time match at WrestleMania. But are you starting to sense, like, wow, Sable is like oh, maybe, no doubt, maybe number no. two popular behind Austin? Like, you she was, that? bro. She, bro, I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget it. anybody can go back and see it. It was just a little spot where Sable came out and she was putting over this big inflatable chair, like a, a, a shop zone thing. Yes. Bro, the people went nuts. I was in the arena and I swear to you, bro, she got the second biggest pop behind Austin. That was the second biggest pop of the night. And then I realized, bro, we got to do something more with her. So that's when I went to Vince. I'm like, Vince. Put the freaking, I know she doesn't know how to wrestle. She's married to Mero. She's smart. Mero can train her. Put the belt on her because she would open up doors now. Like, for instance, bro, the Stern show was red hot at that time. Now, yeah. Stern wasn't a, a wrestling fan. 
Would he put her on the show? Absolutely. Like, that's what I was looking at, bro. Howard Stern might not have a wrestler on the show. He would have her on the show in a freaking heartbeat. She might be able to open up some doors that some of the guys can't. So Vince said to me, you know, call Mark and Rena and see if they'd be interested in doing that. And that's exactly what I did. I said, Rena, you're not going to believe this, but here's the idea. Mero trained her. I thought she did a phenomenal job for what she had to do, bro. She's not going to go out there and give a Britt Baker match. I mean, that's that 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 wasn't the spot. You know, that's yeah. not what it was about. But I thought she did a great job. Mark did a great job in training her. And I, I think it worked, bro. Man, it's crazy how over she was. I remember, yeah. obviously, months later when you put the sack on her, the crowd was going nuts for her to take off the, the potato sack. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So I could see though Luna, who's like a trained wrestler, very, very serious. Yep. Her family's in the business. You know what I mean? She's obsessed with the business. And then this you know, hot blonde comes along. It's like, who the hell is this? Like, what, why Bro, is she getting TV time? I yep. swear to God, I I made the mistake of we were at a, at a building. And uh, I saw in the distance that a heated exchange was starting between luna and sunny and nobody else is around bro you know like and and i'm looking at this and sunny is mouthing off to luna and i'm like what she, what she is going to kill you so to protect sunny bro i got there and you know no, none of the boys nobody's around bro it's just me and I kind of got in the middle of them and Sonny was mouthing off to freaking Luna. And bro, I'll never forget this. Luna literally went through me, knocked me on my ass <laughs> and took Sonny down. But it was the same thing. What Sonny represented you know, you, 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 the, the way you describe Luna, like you, bro, you are dead on. She was so traditional. And now there was kind of a segue of these really, really attractive women making a name for themselves. And yeah, bro, that, that caused a lot of issues. Yeah, it's good. I but she was totally a sweetheart, man. I mean, my, I, Luna, man, I, I, I loved Luna to death. But, bro, she was very, very protective of the business. The next matchup, The Rock, who is the reigning Intercontinental Champion, with D'Lo, Kama Mustafa, and Mark Henry, all of the Nation of Domination, defeat Ken Shamrock by disqualification in about five minutes. Interesting booking here because Shamrock wins. He gets Rock to tap out. Then they can't get him off of him. So all the security, everybody's trying to do that. And get him peeled off the rock. Then he beats up all the security and stuff. Then Howard Finkel gets on the mic and says, and the intercontinental champion still is the rock. He wins by disqualification. So just, uh, and, and I, I know the Chris Warren band set got kind of destroyed and like all that other st stuff was going on, but like is that a little bait and switch there. Like, Oh, we'll tease him with Shamrock winning. And then rock gets his title back. It's a major heat. Yeah, I think so because that is so suitable for Shamrock's character. I mean that that was that was Shamrock's character, so it was one thousand percent believable. Um, and bro, that that's when characters really used to mean something. Where you could pull that off, and a fan would say, "Yeah, bro, 
Ken Shamrock's a freaking hothead, man. And 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 being a hothead, it's what's keeping him from the title. He can't control himself. That's the story. But bro, I want to say this, and I've said this a million times. The Shamrock was such an integral part in The Rock becoming The Rock. I honestly feel, bro, if there wasn't that Shamrock stepping stone, I don't know if The Rock would have became The Rock. I don't think Ken Shamrock gets enough credit for that, bro. He was so key to The Rock becoming The Rock and larger than life. I don't know if The Rock always did this or did maybe before wrestling. His facial expressions, like even tapping out or like he's afraid of the guy or, or like Ron Simmons is talking. He's like, you know, Rollins. like he had the best facials. Like you could see from a mile away. Well, like that's this what guy got him face. over. That's yeah. what got him over when when we, when, you know, the, the, they did. I, I wasn't really doing the writing yet when they decided to put him in the nation. They put him in the nation because they didn't know what to do with him. So now, bro, when they're when that nation's in the ring cutting the promos, exactly what you're saying is what caught my attention. What caught my attention, bro, is bro, he's stealing the scene and not saying a word. He, but you know everything that he's thinking. And bro, the as I saw that, that's when, bro, we just went with it, went with it. Went, but you're, you're dead on, John. That's that's what got our attention. And to me, I was like, man, this guy is something. Like, you could just tell, like, he's grown. Like, he's a main event guy. You know, kind of title, sure. But he's like yeah. a main event guy. You could tell even right. here in early 98, for sure. Yep. Absolutely, bro. Yep. Did you have any plans for like creatively for him, like as, as the ball got rolling or you were like kind of wait and see kind of thing? Bro, listen, that, that's how we wrote TV. We, we, we were very organic, bro. We, we just went with it, man. We, we kind of let it write. I, I say this all the time, bro. If your wrestlers have defined characters, this show will write itself because it, it literally is putting this this roster together with all these different personalities in this same building and bro shit's going to happen like it literally writes itself but if your characters are not defined that doesn't work so that's why we were able to be organic bro with the characters and everything just naturally progressed and evolved I always find that funny when people today are like, oh, today's wrestling. Oh, I can't watch the Attitude Era. You know what I mean? They, they ripped it. I'm like, first of all, you had to like live it to be in it. And you were so excited every week to watch it. Right. And it was so interesting. It's like nowadays, it's like, eh, now, today's wrestling ain't what it used to be. Bro, I swear close. to God, I, I, I watch Rampage and I'm going to stop because I felt I needed to watch something AEW. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, bro, as I'm watching Rampage for the entire hour, all I'm thinking of is, Bro, there isn't one casual fan who who believe who who would believe that any of this shit were real. Not one. Not not one of these matches would a regular person believe is real. That's the difference, bro. Like you you talk about Ken Shamrock, bro. You believed Shamrock could freaking break your arms and your legs, and then when you saw him in the ring, like you bought 
into that, bro. You bought into the Texas redneck by the way he worked and the way he wrestled and Pat Patterson laying out these matches. I watch that show, bro. I don't believe one freaking thing on it that I see. Not one. Much different than here in the Attitude Era, that's for sure. Yeah. So really, the next matchup, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, a.k.a. Terry Funk, defeat the New Age Outlaws, Road Dog, and Billy Gunn for the WWF Tag Team Championship in a dumpster match. The match goes about 10 minutes. This was really fun. I, I really enjoyed this match. It was great. And, you know, Funk and his element and, and Mick and his element. Um, but it showed Road Dog and Billy Gunn. Like, wow, these guys are tougher than you think, right? Bro, that's where I this, see this. You know, again, bro, I, I, I tell you the truth about Vince McMahon and what he did and what he didn't do. I got no reason to not. Bro, this is when Vince McMahon said to me, bro, let's put uh, a Billy Gunn and uh, Jesse James. Let's put them together. And, bro, I got to be honest with you. I did not see it at all because you got to remember, bro, we're just coming off rockabilly and, 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 and and I'm like real, like real bro. I did not see it. And Vince was like, yeah, man, let's, let's, let's put these guys together. Um, I think they'd really be good, but, but, you know, Vince has a thing about asses. So he came up with the badass (laughs) Billy gun and thought that was great. But yeah, bro, 1,000% Vince saw something there with those two guys together that I did not see, and he was 1,000% dead on with those guys, bro. Great name, too, New Age Outlaws. I like that name. And I actually heard a promo from, like, USWA, from Road Dog from years ago. Uh, He was playing it recently, and the first time he said New Age Outlaw, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Like, he had it in his head, I guess. Oh, yeah, bro. He he came up with all that stuff. That that was all Road Dog, the promos and what he said. That that was all Brian James, bro. Oh, I I did not put one word in that dude's mouth. That was 1,000% him. I like the team together because first of all, they're both way bigger than you realize. Like yes. six four and six five. Yes. Maybe even me bigger for Billy. I mean, he's a monster. Yes. But like Billy's a good worker, not much of a talker. Road dog, good worker, but awesome talker. So it was a good combination. Yes. Absolutely, bro. Vince was dead on one thousand percent, man. It's funny too, like when you meet them or if, if you see them in person, like these guys are huge, but you didn't realize that because L O D and McFold. Yeah, no, bro, and, Brian yeah. James is freaking huge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm t- yes, one thousand percent. Yep. Whose idea was for Jack and Foley to win here, but then they lose the next night in the cage match to the Outlaws? Was that something where, like, it's really going to behoove them to lose and then get more over the next night when you guys reestablish DX? Yeah, I think so, bro. I think so. And also, too, you know, give give Mick and uh, and Terry the, 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 the WrestleMania pop. You know, yep. give them that big, big night. They deserved it. Give it to them. But yeah, bro, it gets Road Dog and Billy over even more that they came back the next night and won the titles. Plus, they didn't technically get pinned or submitted. They closed the lid on them, so they kind of kept strong, right? Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yep. Also, another genius thing, which is great. They're chanting for Austin at the end of the night on Raw 
when Foley and, and Funk are getting beat up. So it's like, wow, that's interesting. Okay, I wonder if they'll do anything with that. The next week, Foley's like, you're chanting for Austin. like, And then he snaps and hates Austin and starts yeah. that awesome feud. Just perfect. Because everything meant something, bro. Every yeah. like, Bro, when I tell you I put myself in the shoes of the character, that was – see, that's what I'm saying, bro. Like – Eric Bischoff likes to criticize me all the time where, where he'll say, Oh bro, I I've been in, I've been in creative meetings with Vince Russo when he comes up with an idea and you ask Vince where it's going. And Vince has the deer in the headlights. Look, yeah, bro. Cause I never knew where anything was going. John, do you know where, 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 do you know where your life is going in real life? You no. don't know where things are going life happens and bro that's the perfect example where i put my shoes in the in the shoes of mick foley this shit is not written they start chanting for austin now i recognize that and i see that and now i say shit bro how would mick foley really feel about that if every single thing was written and scripted out, that would have been totally ignored. But if if you're true to the characters, bro, you can't ignore that because you knew, bro, that was sticking in Mick Foley's craw and he was going to – that's why, bro, you can't write these freaking things out months and years in advance because stuff – organically happens bro perfect example Sako, Sako, bro i they came up with Sako when they were shooting that scene that's when they came up with Sako. i wasn't there bro i was in the building they went off site and they shot the, they shot the gimmick they came back and showed me. I went freaking hysterical with Al and the sock and the whole nine Yeah, <laughs> bro. The next night, everyone in the crowd had a sock on their hand. Now, if we would have had something written out, bro, that would have got totally freaking ignored. That wasn't part of the plan. But the next night, all of a sudden, bro, now Sako's a thing. That's why I'm saying, bro, if you've got well-crafted characters, the shit writes itself. That's what's lost in today's business, bro. You had told me when I interviewed you a while ago, we were talking about backstage and like writing WF. You said like the plan was kind of Austin Undertaker at SummerSlam. You didn't exactly know how you were going to get there, but you wanted to keep them both strong going. So you have like pillars of what you want to do. Yes. But everything can change and you can actually like kind of go on the fly. Week to week to week to week, things can change. Absolutely, bro. Foley, I mean, to his masterfulness of being able to be like the great baby face, you know, but also can turn it on in an instant and you really believe him because you get so passionate. Like, and you cheer for Austin, you disrespect me. And then he snaps on Austin and you get the great raw that turns the tide when Vince wrestles Austin with one arm tied behind his back. Foley comes out, puts the uh, mandible claw down. So, I mean, great. Bro, how, 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 how are you going to write that shit months in advance? <laughs> like, no, bro, this, this, this is a live TV show every week and that's how you've got to treat it bro and and bro i'm telling you 
That's how I treated all the shows I wrote, and that's why they were more successful because we we were actually playing off of what was happening, what the crowd respond. We were playing off of that. We had nothing set in stone written three months down the road. It's freaking re- the idea of that is ridiculous, bro, because you're going to waste your time writing the next six months. Bro, people get injured every single week. So I'm I'm going to write a three-month story for Mick Foley, and next week he could break his leg in a match? It's ridiculous, bro. Plus, you know, contracts. You know, there are contract disputes where, okay, bro, we, you know, we're going to have to play hardball with this guy and sit him home because you can't plan this shit out, bro. There's too many, um, you know, there's too many intangibles that can happen. So then Undertaker is up next, and he's going to defeat Kane with Paul Bearer in about 17 minutes. Good match here. The pre-match stuff with Pete Rose is hilarious because who came up with that? Like, why? I mean, he's making fun of Boston. It's hilarious. I bend down to pick it up, or or Bill Buck, whatever he says. Bill Buckner can't bend down to pick it up. Like, you know, we're just making fun of tickets and the fans and Boston and the Red Sox and Bill Buckner. I mean, great stuff. Whose idea was Pete Rose? Bro, I swear to God. The idea, I swear to God. The funny thing about Pete Rose was, this wasn't the first joke slam, was it? I was trying to remember if that was his his like debut. I think that might have been because I know I, I, progressively uh, he's in fifteen and sixteen too. Where yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah. if this was the first one, bro, I can remember like we're thinking about it, but like, nah, he ain't gonna do it, you know. You know, yeah. but bro, I swear to God, I'll never forget this. So we pitched him, and you know, all he cared about was how much. Well, how much? Oh, wow. wow I okay. swear to God, bro, that's all he cares. Okay, yeah, I'll do that if it's worth my while. And whatever Vince agreed to pay him, I don't know. Bro, that's all he cared about. All he cared about was I'll do whatever you want me to do, but you're going to have to pay me. And that he, he was, that's, a, that's a businessman, bro. It was freaking awesome. It's funny too because it's like why Kane and Pete Rose, but it just worked for right, exactly, reason. exactly, yeah, yeah. So with this, obviously Undertaker, this is very infancy of of the streak, but he's got a little bit of a streak going here. He beats Kane. Was there ever any thought of Kane going over here? I I I I don't believe so, bro. Because we we had so many chapters in this story, and so many things we were going to do with Paul Bearer and storytelling that I don't think there was, bro. Because either way, it wasn't going to hurt Kane because there was, you know, it's kind of like Jason coming back. You know what I mean, bro? There's going to be yep. the next chapter in the story. So I I, I don't think there was any question in putting Taker over here. He kind of gets his heat back a little bit too at the end because he beats him up afterwards and then Undertaker sits up and he kind of sets up the the next chapter that's going to continue with him. But it's just interesting, like Kane, it's like one of the first guys that I remember kicks out of the tombstone too. So it's like they really made it, or you guys really made an effort of like, okay, we got to make him look as strong as possible. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, And don't forget, you know, Glenn Jacobs was such a sweetheart of a guy that, you know, Taker had no issues what he wanted to get the guy over, bro. So it, it really, really worked. Plus it helps him too. Like, you know, his character and him too. It's like, I, if I have somebody equal to me that I can work with money, 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 you know, that's exactly it, bro. Exactly. Yep. 
and Barra did such a good job, not carrying the feud, but on the mic, kind of carrying oh, the feud. Like, bro. The, the, his the, stories and hit the way he, like his inflection, the way he talks. Like, he, he, he doesn't get the credit, and I don't know why. The, the greatest storyteller of all time in the wrestling business, and, and I don't know why he doesn't get that credit. I was around for hundreds of his promo. Nobody's told the story better than he did. Nobody, nobody, bro. It's funny. It's one of the best storylines, Kane versus Undertaker. Also, Austin versus Vince is going on or about to go on around the same time. So you get two really tremendous storylines. But it's funny. There's like the supernatural characters in the Attitude Era. Don't know why it worked, but it worked. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And Barrow was so good just egging on Taker, making fun of his mom. <laughs> like so Kane's good. your brother. Like everything was so good. Yeah, so good. Then we get the main event of the evening. Stone Cold Steve Austin defeats Shawn Michaels for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship in 20 minutes. Mike Tyson, of course, is the special guest enforcer. Was there ever any thought here that, you know, we talked about Michaels. He was definitely going to do the job. But was there ever any thought that the injury was so bad he might not be able to wrestle? Bro, I swear to God, um, I'll never forget this. And I still don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. But, bro, he was selling the back big time before and after the match. Big time. He was selling the back. And I remember, bro, there was a spot in that match where Sean did the kip up. And I was like, wait a minute. Like <laughs> now, Now, bro, I will say this, John. I will say this. Bro, you know what adrenaline can do. No question about it. You know how with 16,000 people in a match of that magnitude, Shawn Michaels could not be feeling a thing. But I remember, bro, watching the match. I was in the house and I saw the kip up and I was like, bro, you got to be freaking kidding me. To this day, bro, I don't know. I don't know if he was working the back. I don't know if it was adrenaline. I don't know. But uh, yeah, bro. But yeah, I, I remember after the match, uh, he was down in the locker room. His parents were over him. Uh, he was down. I can't see. You know, Sean knew he was leaving after that. I, I I can't see Sean playing that up like that if it wasn't, you know, real. But uh yeah, bro, he was in he was in a lot of pain after that match. He's one of those guys, like a like a Bret Hart, where they're such like good workers and good sellers. You kind of can't tell because you there's points tell. of that match where I'm like, he's healthy. But then you watch, there was like where he held his back was like gingerly walking. You could tell he tweaked something because he like had a little jolt and like, okay, you're not gonna do that like as a work like he's exactly bro legit. exactly yeah. absolutely yep and you could tell when he goes to kick austin austin has to get extra low when he misses yeah you could tell he, it's one of those things where he's literally just lifting with all his abdominal muscle just trying to lift his leg over austin yeah 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 so he definitely he definitely had some some back issues i wonder what was going through austin's mind did you know like like was he like i hope he's healthy enough i want i hope i can get this good uh, match bro, out of him. now austin is is the type of guy bro that he's fully aware and he's going to take care of him as much like you said him getting down he's he he you know if anybody knew how messed up he was it was austin because sean would let him know i, I mean absolutely Austin's a type of guy, bro, especially after that Owen injury, Austin's yeah. going to go out of his way to take care of you. If you're, if you're hurt without a doubt. Now, 
Austin wins with the stunner. JR, most legendary thing. He's got he's holding up the belt. The Austin era has begun. Austin, Austin, Austin. You know, speaking sound bites, the, the awesome JRism. Do you know like then they're like, okay, Rockstar, like this is the guy. Bro, I knew Rockstar when he said Austin 316. I, I, I'm telling you, bro. When, when he, when he, and that was his. I, I yeah. didn't, you know, Vince Russo take credit for everything. I, I wish I wrote that line. Okay. I wish I wrote, if you smell what The Rock was cooking, I wish I wrote that line. That Austin 316 promo, um, bro. I, I like I knew like bro like this 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 is it like th this is it so I I kind of felt that beforehand and bro it's also he was in such a groove bro he wasn't gonna be denied like nothing was going to stop him not nothing bro like I, I don't know I, even if I, I I honestly believe bro even if I would have written shit TV. I don't think that would have stopped him somehow, some way he would have gotten it over. This guy was so freaking determined, bro. He grabbed the brass ring. Nobody was going to take it away, bro, no matter what. So the the drive and the determination, bro, nobody was going to stop him. Nobody. Hey, look at WrestleMania this year, WrestleMania 38, him and Owens. I mean, he tore it up. He was awesome. And the, exactly. the beer bash, everything exactly, else. He killed bro. It. He's not, he's not gonna be nothing less than that ever, ever, bro. It's funny too. I went to, I think it was 10 or 11 liquor stores because I wanted to try this damn beer. And the guy, you know, they know nothing about wrestling, but they know the Steve Austin beer. We go to the spot, it's sold out. So I'm like, ah, oh, god damn it. So the the like guy at the liquor store, the manager goes, This WrestleMania thing, I think it got over big time. I'm like, Yeah, I think it did. Like he's <laughs> Right. He's exactly. He goes, we, we had a case of that beer. You know, like he was saying this, but I was like, Austin still over in 2022 selling his beer out. So genius That's move cool. by him, like promoting the beer and everything else. Uh, yes, bro. Yeah, he's a business, bro. That, that That's the difference between business then and business now, bro. These guys were businessmen. It, it, it was all about branding and money and it, that's what it, it wasn't about the match you know they, they were going to go out there bro and they're pros and they're going to work together and they're going to have the best match they're capable of but that's not what it was about it was about business and money and who can we work with to make money and how can i extend my brand like that's what it was all about with these guys Tyson obviously post match reveals he's really buddies with Austin. He raised his hand. He counts to three very, very fast. Counts to three, by the way, <laughs> which I've been told by Mike Kyoto and a few other people. I think Jimmy Cordaris might mention it to me too that they taught him like one, two, three, but he was so excited. He was right. one, two, three. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I, I mentioned, it's like, did Vince McMahon ever say, like, yeah, right. Vince's not going to tell him, like, you counted too fast. Like, he didn't care. Like, it just, bro, bro the whole thing was with that. Because I guess this is originally why they wanted Tyson to be a babyface. Because the whole thing was, bro, if you remember, at the time he was banned from pay-per-view because he bit Evander Holyfield's ear. Mm -hmm. Part of Vince's pitch to Austin was... Bro, we're going to baby face you up. You know, there's a little bit of heat on you now. You're banned from a, a pay-per-view. What, you know, uh, Holyfield is the baby face. You bit his ear. Bro, we're going to make you come out of this looking like a baby face. So I guess that's why Vince's plan was originally 
for him to be with Austin. And then, like I said, I threw in there, no, he needs to be with DX. But Vince wanted to make sure he left on a baby face note because, like, that's what he had told Tyson will help you, you know, reshine your image. And, and I think that was accomplished, bro. I think he did exactly that. And then the great knockout punch to Michaels right. afterwards was great, yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. Cementing it. And Michael Sullivan's funny, too, because if you watch his mouth, he's like trying to fix his jaw. <laughs> yeah. Right. right yeah. Great selling. Yeah. It's a great yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. So huge success. Like I said, 730,000 buys. Do you know, like, after the show's over, like, that was great? Because this to me was like big momentum change. Because that was on a roll. Gotta, like, change I, right I here. I got to be honest with you. When, when I say this, people think I'm full of shit, but it's the God honest truth. Bro, the WrestleManias that I worked, bro, it was just another show. Like, wow. like it honestly was because the reason why I say that, bro, is, bro, we had to write live TV like every single day. So, bro, to us, WrestleMania is already over before it even goes out there. We're thinking about the show after WrestleMania. That's where our focus is, bro. What are we doing the night after? So that's why, bro, WrestleMania shows to me as a writer were really, it was really just another show. The To me, the Raw following is the most important show of the year without a shadow of a doubt and that's where our focus was really on so great because you start the new dx waltman debuts obviously foley is about to turn heel he's about to have a two-month program with austin which is awesome great matches just great performances vince mcmahon mr mcmahon becomes a big part of the show he wants him to become a corporate champion he gives him the new belt he hits him in the balls i mean th- you guys start this pendulum where it's funny like okay you had your big show and then sometimes the momentum goes like this you guys had the big show and the momentum went exactly up to the roof bro for two years the, the, bro they've they've been they've been dropping the ball for 20 years okay that that's why i'm saying bro the same vince mcmahon is there bro the mentality is with me and ed bro you know you're going to get a huge viewing uh rating the day after mania you know you're gonna get a huge number for two reasons number one either people didn't didn't see mania and want to see what happened or either people saw mania and want to see the fallout you know you're gonna have a huge audience that night that's why bro there is so much pressure because that night you've got to now capture that audience and keep that audience and bring them back the following week. Bro, you can look at the last 20 years, big WrestleMania, the day after number, the next week, bro, right back where they were before because they didn't pay off that one big show, bro. People tuned in and said, yeah, okay, bro, but this really isn't worth me watching every week. They've done that for 20 straight years, and that's criminal, bro. That's criminal. When you get that big audience, you've got to keep that big audience, bro. Yeah, 2.1 million the night after, and then 1.8. 
the, the week after that it happens so every it year down, bro yeah. every single year they can't maintain the audience of that night so give us a grade wrestlemania 14 like a b like what would you grade it if you were grading the show looking back wrestlemania 14 oh man that's that that that's i mean i would like to think every show i was involved in was an a but um I, bro i i would say it probably was an a because we got out of it exactly what we wanted and needed uh, and all the pieces were set in place going forward. So I, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, man. I would grade it an A. Yeah, me too. I love the show. Just looking back, even watching again, it's like, man, it's very rewatchable, which yeah. a lot of shows aren't. But I mean, that that was a good one. Strong showing by LOD, kind of making their name again. Foley and Funk are you know relevant. DX is relevant. Austin obviously is the man. The only guy really is Michaels is gone obviously for a while, and we just don't know the the status of the injury. He comes back and plays the commissioner. You have Dude Love eventually turning heel, but the real big thing is Mr. McMahon, Austin. You guys are going to take it to rocket ship to the moon. Exactly. Yep. Yep. All right, so let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Vince, what do you got? Yeah, guys, go check out channelattitude.com because all our shows are there and you get clips, man. You get previews of all the shows on the network and you could decide whether you want to subscribe or not. It's a it's a great tool, bro. A lot of free uh, material. Go to channelattitude.com. New site looks great. Congrats Thanks. on that. You guys got a lot of good stuff going on. And finally, right? Finally. Up to Eight months, bro. Yes, finally. Yes. But thank you to Vince and thank you everybody out there for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a good one, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother. He's put everybody down with Sweet Chin Music, and he has put Austin down before as well, as we know. Austin back up somehow. Uh-oh. Austin ducked it. Austin going for the stunner, and Michael's counter. Michael's going for another kick. Austin, he got it! The stagger! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Wait a minute! Tyson a double cross the end! It's a double cross! And I don't think Shawn Michaels can believe what he's seeing. Mike Tyson waving a 316 in front of Michael's face. Maybe this has been a setup all along. Michael said, no, Mike, you're supposed to be.